Sometimes it feels like the world is throwing everything at you. Dell Technologies Advisors have the tech advice you need to navigate whatever you're up against. Call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL and do more with modern devices and Windows 10 Pro. You're listening to Producing with Purpose, an ethical business podcast with me, Tony Corrales. We'll be speaking to some of the greatest CEOs, creatives, founders, and entrepreneurs who have established and managed companies that put ethical practices at the forefront of their mission, all whilst navigating the challenges of the business world. Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of Producing with Purpose. Thanks for tuning in and listening to the show. And thank you as well to everybody who's been checking out the micro episodes. I hope you've been enjoying those. And again, a big thank you to everybody who's been following at Producing With Purpose on Instagram. So I'm showing up a lot more often there, pretty much posting daily with some inspiration, some motivation, some tips as well to help you be on your uh, ethical business adventure or just a project that you're working on. Or if you just want a little bit of Monday morning motivation, then that's a place to come and join the community there as well. Now, I want to keep these episode introductions short and sweet because I do enough talking on my own over on the micro episodes. Um, So today I'm going to jump straight into introducing our guest. And that guest is Dane Oshinassi, the Australian New Zealand director of Patagonia. Now, it goes without saying that when you say producing with purpose, Patagonia are pretty much one of the brands that come into the absolute forefront of people's minds when you think of a business that is not just out there selling their product, but is really doing their part and to consider the future of this planet and really inspiring people as well to be a little bit more considerate and conscious with their purchasing as well, which is great to see from such a prominent brand with such a voice out there in the marketplace as well. So today on the show, I speak with Dane about two main topics as well as his time and how he actually got into working with Patagonia. But the things I wanted to cover with Dane is firstly, what the future looks like for businesses who produce with purpose. You know, are we going to get to a point in the future where having that underlying purpose-driven or, you know, ethically-driven mindset is something that's going to be pretty much a must-have for a business to succeed and how the marketplace and also consumers are shifting to really want this from the companies that they're purchasing from as well. And then with that in mind, something that I've been having a little bit of a struggle with in my journey of founding NoSkin and I wanted to get Dane's view on is when you are in the early stages of starting a purpose-driven business, how you balance that desire and the future state that you see for your brand in terms of how ethically and you know perfectly with purpose you can produce something versus the challenges of actually getting it up and running and obviously the minimums if you're having something made with manufacturers and the costs to do it and some of the sacrifices that you have to make that can sometimes conflict a little bit with your ethical vision but are compromises that need to be made so that your business can remain viable. So Dane's got some really great insight into this and, you know, it's a great story as well. And he just speaks so passionately about Patagonia as a brand. So I'm going to get stuck straight into it and introduce Dane Oshinassi of Patagonia, Australia, New Zealand. Today on Producing with Purpose, I'm really, really excited for today's guest. We've got Dana Shanassi, the Australia and New Zealand Company Director of Patagonia. Um, you know, I've, I think I've talked about in this podcast that having someone representing a brand like Patagonia on this podcast is a is a goal for me. So I'm really happy to have you here. So yeah, thanks again for joining me, Dane. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here and looking forward to our chat. Awesome. 
All right, so we're going to get stuck in today to some of the detail around what the title is, which is the importance of producing with purpose. But I can pretty confidently say that for anyone listening to this, you know, a role like what you've got working as a director at Patagonia is a bit of a dream job. I think most people would probably jack in what they're currently doing to come and have a crack at something like that. So um, tell us a little bit of your backstory, I suppose, of how you ended up in that role. Um, well, I started working with Patagonia about nine years ago, um, which you know feels like a long time, but it also feels like it's gone by in a bit of a blink. Mm. Um, you know, my background prior to Patagonia was working you know, most of my career at Ripco, you know, who's also based yep. and started down here in Torquay, um, where I live, um, and grew up around Ripco and Quicksilver as sort of these sort of amazing Australian kind of you know sport lifestyle brands. Yeah. surf friends and I'm you know I surf and it was something that I really identified with so I was really lucky just to kind of be around that be in such close proximity to that and I guess you know I get to learn my craft and 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 I guess you know develop a career in and amongst that um, but after about 12 years at, at Ripcurl I had a um, you know a bit of a you know epiphany or you know a challenge that you know what was I really doing with my life I'd been there since I was you know 18 packing boxes yep. in the warehouse at university um, so I ended up, you know, leaving Rip Curl um, to to complete um, some university education I was doing at the time, um, and really sort of take a leap out into something else. Um, so I did that, and it was you know exciting and, and daunting all at the same time to leave something that I knew so well um, to really then have to kind of you know go beyond Torquay to to find employment, um, which yeah. I did in Melbourne and some other places, just to um, you know really broaden my my experience. Um, but, you know, through a lot of those jobs that I did after Rip Curl, I really, you know, came to know what I really cared about. And when I work on stuff that I care about, I think I do my best work. Yeah. Um, so that really kind of, you know, helped me, you know, determine that brands, you know, and, and brands that were producing goods or services that were, you know, in, I guess, you know, um, the sports or the culture or the lifestyle that, that I really um, found myself was, was a place that I felt like um, I wanted to be. Um, but it didn't you know, happen that Patagonia knocked on my door the next day and, and, I, and I walked into to a great job. Um, you know, prior to, to working here, I was lucky enough to be a house dad for a year. And my wife's nice. got a business and I was, we were in a great fortune situation where I was able to spend nearly a whole year with our, with our first firstborn um, around here in Torquay, which also gave me some, some real time to think about the opportunities I wanted to pursue, not just the opportunities that you know, were first, um, first come in line. Yeah. Um, and, and then the journey at Patagonia really started with a small marketing project. <clears throat> Their marketing coordinator left. Um, it was a really small business at that time, only only a couple of people. Um, and they said, "Do you want to come in and um, you know help us, you know, get through this little period while we hire someone else?" And I thought, "Well, this is great. You know, a little bit of work. Um, maybe it could lead to something else." Um, and, and as we kind of got stuck into the to the work I came to do. There was just a lot of work that, you know, um, needed doing and, you know, yeah. I threw my hat in the ring and they, you know, accepted, you know, my proposal to do a little bit more and that just kept, you know, the, the list kept growing and I kept coming in and, you know, nine years later I'm still here. Yeah, awesome. So what does the team size look like now? You say it was just a couple of people back then. How much has that grown? Yeah. Well, at the time there was about oh, six to eight employees sort of at the, at the office and we had a couple of stores. You know, around the country, a couple of new yeah. ones, a couple of partner stores. Um, the team here at the office has grown to around about you know thirty-five, nearly forty people now, wow. which is um, you know, a bigger crew to, to 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 show up to work with when we can. We're all working from yeah. home at the moment. 
um, and we've got eight stores around the, the, the country. So we're, we're kind of up around 70 or 80, you know, permanent employees, and, you know, with some Great. kind of casual um, employees as well on top of that. It's awesome. I don't know. It's not actually something that I usually ask because I feel like it's a question that comes up a lot, especially in the last year or so. But um, how has the whole COVID pandemic situation <clears throat> been, I suppose, from the back office perspective and having that many people working from home? Uh, it's It's been... I mean, it's had its its high points and its low points. Um, I think one thing is that you know everyone's going through the same thing, yeah. And we've been fortunate that um, you know the company has really supported us and driven us to put you know put people's well being first, you know, and, right. and even through the you know the periods of the most um, the most uncertainty in the early days of the pandemic. So <clears throat> for the most part, you know, we haven't really had to let any employees go. We've been able to pay people. You know, right through the period whether they've been able to attend the store or the office or not yeah. um it's been hard you know helping people kind of cope with you know homeschooling and all the things that kind of you know the 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 challenges that um you know this whole thing has brought us you know from a from a f- operational perspective mm. um, but in some ways i think you know um we've grown a little tighter as a working group we've definitely yeah. grown more empathetic to each other and in a funny sort of you know um, you know set of circumstances, I think we're more connected with our colleagues overseas than ever because we used to wait to fly around and see each other once in a while, and now we're talking over video every other day. So you yeah, know, there's been some positives for sure. It's cool, and it, it kind of leads into the bit I was going to get onto next because one thing I found and working and doing consultancy and things in multiple companies as well is that culture has been one of the hardest things to maintain, like operationally and logistically things are able to keep moving quite well with video call but it's really hard to maintain that feeling of culture and i imagine for patagonia being so purpose-driven culture is a huge part of that company do you think because uh, my question was going to be is how is you know how is that culture distributed top down in a company like patagonia but how has that also changed in covid yeah it's definitely um been really difficult when a lot of I guess what kind of motivates us is, you know, convening together around issues and kind of, you know, you know, I guess, you know, you know, driving off each other's energy. And that's been definitely more difficult, you know, from a kitchen table um, yeah. than being able to see each other for sure. I think Patagonia's culture is, um, you know, it's, it's often talked about, you know, and it's and it's very much, you know, driven around um very focused mission and values and and i often say to folks you know it's in a way it's the most mission-centric and values-driven business that i've ever worked in or seen because the company so many of the company's decisions and the work and the way we treat each other is filtered through that each and every day you know so unlike a lot of companies that have a fantastic you know vision or mission statement and it's printed on the tea room wall and you walk past it and feel warm and fuzzy and then go back to your desk and keep trying to you know, drive as much cost out of the business and drive as many sales as you can, as every business mostly does. Um, yeah. You know, we really, you know, have this, you know, pretty important moral compass that we sort of, you know, ask ourselves, you know, if we're working on the right stuff and are we doing it the right way? And that and that sort of, I think, is, is one of the sort of, you know, cultural glues that binds everyone together. Um, but it's also a place, you know, I've heard, you know, some, some old company legends describe it as it, it could be the best or the worst place that you've ever worked. I mean, if these values are something that you are deeply aligned with, it'll feel like the best company in the world. You get to work. Your work is contributing towards, you know, big, big issues that you're passionate about. You relish the chance to work a little slower, to take a little bit more time with important decisions. However, if you are someone who's really ambitious or, you know, really, um, you know, 
thrive on the on you know constant success and growth then then our business might feel a little slow and stifling and and usually you know our culture has a has a way of you know helping people figure out you know what who they are and whether they want to be here or whether this company can offer them you know um the things that they, they care about as well that's really interesting i think that's um that's potentially though a really important shift for a lot of companies is to be a little bit more reactive and take a little bit more time over those decisions as well for whatever it is i think you know for people's well-being that could be a nice implementation that goes further than just your office uh, look and it, and it it is an egalitarian culture and company you know it is very much one where every employee is um welcomed as a friend and i think you know i, I think of the role that i found myself in now which is one that's just, you know, in some ways, you know, it's in service to, to every employee here rather than, you know, that being the other, you know, typical hierarchical structure. Um, so we all have, you know, we all have the responsibilities of our individual jobs to do. Um, yeah. But I think there's a, you know, there's something special about seeing, you know, um, your workplace as more than, you know, the, the hierarchical sort of you know organizational organizational structures that, that that many do with a lot of power and a lot of um authority you know so mm-hmm. i think patagonia is a place that you can kind of do whatever you want i mean as long as you know it's congruent with you know the company's values and the goals that we're working towards and and if you're crushing your job there's a lot of room to um explore new things you know with with the support of the business as well that's really cool that's a great and it's a great way to it's a great way to empower the people there and you know there's different people in all sorts of roles i've done a lot of recruitment in my time and things like that and sometimes you want you've got people who come in and they're kind of you know raring to go and they want to make so much happen in their role and sometimes people like coming in working for a company that's got good values showing up and doing their thing and they're happy to do that and you need that balance of those people as well you absolutely do and i think often underrated um, the craft of work, you know, the people mm. whom can really be happy enjoying the type of work they do over a long period of time. And, you know, yeah. somewhat, you know, I think unfairly ambition is rewarded with, you know, um, is equated with success. Um, yeah, I remember, you know, having lunch one day at the tea room in America and just sitting next to, you know, uh, describe her as an almost elderly lady just having her lunch. Mm-hmm. And as we do it, sometimes you sit down and say, hey, how are you? What's your name? What do you do? And she's like, oh, you know, I can't remember her name right now. But she's like, oh, I work in design. And it was almost like a bit, you know, just not your yeah. typical design, <laughs> you know, um, person. This is very early on in my kind of time at Patagonia. And I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. How long have you been working, working here? And she's like, oh, 32 years. Wow. <laughs> it's been years in design she's like yep i remember when we were designing you know our logos using you know pencils and kind of big sheets of paper and you know and i was just it, it it really kind of floored me and grounded me to the fact that you know this company can find you know not it can reward real and find real value in in tenure and experience you know so yeah. it's not just about rushing in you know the latest fashion or someone with a new idea to try and you know, keep keep the whole thing kind of um, going, but to really kind of see value in that wisdom and experience that can, um, you know, help build something that has deeper roots over a longer period of time. Yeah, so it's exactly what you say, deeper roots. It's something that, you know, might not have the flash in the pan hyper success over like a few years, but it's got that tangibility over a long time, becomes like a cultural staple as well in certain, you know, in certain environments, which is definitely what Patagonia has achieved. Um, one thing I wanted to know as well is 
you know, I speak on this podcast as well. I speak to a lot of people who have founded their company or they're like the entrepreneurs or they're the people whose baby it is that they're, you know, taking to the levels of success. But in, in your case, with such a prominent role and for such a long time in the company now, like how, how involved do you feel in the company mission? Do you, do you just feel like it's yours in that same respect as well? Well, I still say that after nine years, I feel like a bit of a newbie, you know, because yeah, people okay. have been for decades and decades. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, perhaps is, is probably going to be true for a long time yet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I feel, you know, really committed. You know, I think, um, you know, it's a privilege to be part of a, a company that has is doing such great work um, yeah. and, and is so ambitious. I think it's, um, you know, really simple things are often very complex, you know, when, when you start to apply them to, to yourself and your life. And, and I think that's really that's, that's a really human thing. You know, we, we yeah. want things to be simple. We want them to be black and white and cut and dry. But, you know, the reality of, of having a mission statement like we're in business to save our home planet is um, really complex and, it, and it's contradictory and it is, you know, urgent. It has a lot of things that um, the more you unpack it, the more you realise there is, you know, to um, to do, and that not everything is going to work out the way you hope. Um, so I think it, in in that regard, you know, yes, I've been here for for a long period of time in, in Australia's you know short journey in, in Patagonia is nearly fifty years, yeah. um, but I do think you know it's a company that is always looking forward, not back. It's not about you know what did we do in the seventies, you know, when climbing was you know cool in this part of the world. But very much so, never resting on some progress that we're making about reducing our footprint as, as a business in, in how we make our products, um, yeah, trying to, you know, disrupt, you know, you know typical capitalism and, and, I guess, consumerism, yeah. um, and, and trying to figure out, like, you know, what is it, how, how can we have a, a business that is, you know, more founded on circular business you know principles that is also about um you know trying to give back to nature more than what we take um acknowledging that you know we can't change the world alone but we can hopefully you know help be the pointy end of the spear you know to bring others along with us do you think that that you know that i mean you talk about circularity there and i feel like in some respects that's not a new concept as such but it's become a lot more you know it's become a lot more prevalent in the fashion sector as well was was this kind of stuff as spoken about or as prominent in the company's mission when you started there nine years ago, or have you really seen that happen? I think it's definitely we've become more vocal and direct with our language, but the company's been doing this stuff for for a long, long time. And I mean, it really started with, you know, the, the early employees and, you know, like the owners experience in nature and watching, you know, you know, the impact of mankind or humankind on nature. And then I think, that to their to their business, um, yeah. but you know the solutions focus goes back a long, long time. You know, with thinking about right back when you know Yvonne Chanel was a blacksmith and making pitons to hammer into the rock face, and mm. recognizing that the the status quo was damaging the rock every time someone climbed it. You know, what can we do to make sure that the next person's experience is has you know is as um, rewarding as the first person by you know not leaving you know any footprints behind. Um, you know, the company, you know, was one of, I think, the first or one of the first to use recycled, um, you know, post-consumer plastic bottles to make, um, you, know, you know, clothing, you know, back in the yeah. 80s. So there's things that some companies are grabbing onto now as, 
you know, their first steps into, um, you know, trying to reduce their harm in, in, yeah. the, in the business are things that we've been doing for a long time. And, and, I, and I think that's fantastic because I think, you know, they're not things that we have walked away from. They're things that we've built upon, you know, to, to try yeah. and reduce our impact further. And that's definitely something we'll come come back to in a second and building upon that journey as well. Right. Um, and one thing that I was also wondering is, you know, when you started at Patagonia Australia, it was it was quite well fairly early days, and as you said, the team was quite small then as well. So you've got yeah you've got the global entity of Patagonia behind you, but it was still a little bit more bootstrapping. It was still bringing it more here to this market in those early days to to sort of get to where you are now. What were some of the most impactful things that I think you know happened within the Australian market to get that recognition and to build the company to what it has today? You know, it's a big question, but <laughs> I don't want to let out all our secrets. No, <laughs> I think look, I, I often describe the time that I've had here at Patagonia is, you know, really good timing, really good luck, and really hard work. You know, I think mm-hmm. the company itself is fantastic. The brand is amazing. It's something to be loved believed in and, and something to tell your friends about. Um, yeah. So we were starting, you know, at that point, not from zero, but certainly with something that, you know, I think we hadn't communicated well what um, made it really special and, and why Australian New Zealand customers should should care and take a look at it. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I always reflect on you've got a great brand, you know, you don't need to invent a great brand. You've got amazing products. You don't need to reinvent those. And the market, I think, was already starting to shift and starting to, um, you know, there was a, a growing market for people who were willing to spend more money on goods that had ethical, social or environmental, um, you know, values built in. And they're not always things you can see, you know. So when you're charging someone a premium because you are paying the people making your goods, you know, a living wage, not a minimum wage, or when yeah. you're using recycled materials that, you know, are more expensive than virgin materials, the end product and the end use of that product may not change at all. Um, so communicating those 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 elements of, of what you're selling and why they're important become you know paramount. Um, so I think we the company's really good at that, and I think it's got better and better than that in my time here as well over the years. Um, but I also think the market has been growing, and you know we we've sort of seen that through you know broad and, and very targeted market research as well. Yeah. And I mean, that's the power as well that you you've got there, even coming into the business that we're starting. It's um, and I think it's something I've heard you say as well or read that you've said is that there's a lot of people started off with their journey of a lot of more um, ethical consideration around food choices and things like that. And then it moves more into clothing as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially for our brand coming in from the more vegan angle of things as well or that's where we started off it's same thing as i see that that's happening in food very heavily and then fashion comes after that as well but i feel like that's you know we don't have the power to do that market research but i feel that just anecdotally and seeing that around us at the moment there's a huge shift in the last three years i think yeah you don't you don't need to yeah spend money on market research you've only got to walk into woolworths right you know i remember you know 10 years ago organic food was in the the funny smelling you know health food aisle (laughs) You know, yeah. and people would, you know, wouldn't have even organic wasn't a term that people was really prevalent. But now it's the first thing when you walk into the fruit yeah. and veggie section. It's the premium product. It's more expensive. Sadly, often still wrapped in kind of plastic. But um, yeah. Yeah. I think I, what 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 that sort of says is that the big end of town are seeing the opportunity. And, I, and I've described yeah. in the past. And I think it's a, a nice way of sort of saying it is 
these values have sort of moved from you know this this kind of you know early adopter phase where like people who you know really seek it out can find it into what sort of moved, began as a bit of a risk aversion phase where companies like look we don't want to get caught out doing the wrong thing so we better do just enough that to make sure that we don't kind of get that bad press to now not taking those opportunities is a missed opportunity that your competitors are taking you know big advantage of and creating more value from so under those sort of traditional business um i guess frameworks or approaches you know this stuff doesn't have to live off in only those who can afford to do it should do it um you know only those who are deeply passionate about it really care into kind of going you know what like you know my business if i'm not uh, you know co-opting these values can start to com- become a commodity you know it can start yeah. to become less differentiated because you know i just there, there's there isn't you know a jacket or a you know a car or whatever these things are you know just don't have the the things that people are looking for in the future which i think then leads into the you know the part that we really wanted to double down on today is talking about how important it is especially in the market like right now in the markets that we're going into to be a company that is producing with purpose that has an underlying mission isn't just there for churning something out for the bottom line i suppose at this point you know how much do you think Patagonia would have had success if it didn't have that that vision behind it, that underlying purpose behind it, and it was just known for being great technical wear, great sports wear, that kind of thing, versus the success that's come in the last five or so years because of all of the other things that you're talking about about having a purpose? It's 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 hard to know because I think um, you know we're equally I think revered for our you know technical um, reliability. And quality, yep. which I think has always been something which is, you know, equated with, um, you know, high-end technical stuff, the stuff that lasts and stuff will kind of, like, perform under those those, yep. those pieces. So I think, you know, it's been an important partnership with those two things. Um, but certainly, you know, the, the philosophy behind our goods is something that, you know, provides a deeper connection um, and, and perhaps a reason to buy our products over our competitors to try and lighten the footprint of those who, who are buying stuff. But yeah. what I would say is that, you know, Patagonia, and this is one of our, I think, things that's most important about our culture and company is, you know, we still believe we're doing more harm and taking more from the planet than what we give back. You know, so yeah. there isn't this sort of sense of going, oh, we're, aren't we amazing because we're so much better you know, than others in some people's eyes. I think we look around and kind of go, wow, there's still a lot that we do that has an enormously detrimental impact on the planet. Um, yes, the the wealth that's created from this business is, you know, lots of that is, is funneled back into the environmental movement, into, you know, conservation efforts. So, um, yeah, there is a bit of a, you know, paradigm that we find ourselves in where, you know, the more successful we can be, the more good we can do. But, you know, the double-edged sword is... You know, we are having a greater impact on the planet when we do that. Perhaps we're taking market share from others that may leave a deeper footprint than ours, but nonetheless, um, you know, when we think, you know, philosophically about that, there is still some, you know, some, some things for us to work through. And I think that constant kind of, um, I guess, you know, stoic approach to, to, to business as opposed to this kind of like, you know, you know, we, we've won the race sort of attitude is something that, which I think will allow these values to persist in the business for, for many decades ahead. You know, it's sort of mm-hmm. the stuff that kind of keeps us coming back each and every year, each and every season about what are we going to do better? How do we help, you know, um, you know, protect the planet and, you know, you know, certainly, you know, be part of the movement, you know, fighting off, you know, the impacts of climate change. 
Yeah, I think so. It's just having, you know, there's always going to be there's always going to be brands out there making clothing, making product. So it's not necessarily saying, hey, we're we're out here and like say we're we're better than anyone else. It's we're part of that industry. That's what our business is. That's what we're doing. But once you know, once the revenue comes in and once the products are being made, we're doing our absolute best to minimize impact whilst many out there are doing absolutely nothing as well yeah it's Uh, tricky because i think business success you know in the modern day is all driven around growth you know if you're mm -hmm. not growing you're shrinking and you know if you're not growing you're not successful and i think back in 2011 the company ran a really famous you know ad in the new york times that said don't buy this jacket with a picture of our best-selling jacket and i know the company um labored over that for a long time um and it wasn't so much just you know say just don't buy our stuff it was actually to say don't buy what you don't need so it was trying yeah. to kind of you know communicate on a deeper level with our, our customers than just a tagline or a, or a or a sales pitch to try and develop a, a stronger relationship between you know the way we were attempting to do business and finding customers out there whom you know really um aligned with that thinking you know and, and you know the 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 the, the sort of the, the, the reality of that was, you know, sales went up after that ad. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the hope is is that, you know, again, people were, you know, bought less of less scrupulous brands and, and more of Patagonia. Um, but it was a lot of new customers, I guess, coming to the brand for the first time that, that really, I guess, you know, emboldened us to, to do more and, and to, to be more, you know, you know, disruptive and kind of, you know, radical with our thinking in, in business. Mm. Taking something like that, because, you know, it is ironic and it's, on one hand it's like well that's an excellent campaign i mean it's an excellent campaign in many perspectives because it is still getting the message across but it has also then given the business you know a good outcome at the end of that considering that your you know patagonia's marketing efforts do circle around a lot of the good that you do does it ever get a little bit conflicting about what comes first when you're doing something good is it because it's marketing driven because doing this good will effectively contribute to growth or is it always we do the good thing and then marketing can take that good thing and use it should that help um i think we're always you know reflecting on that checking ourselves are we doing things for the right reasons are we doing it in the right way um i think it's you know important for us um to to serve our sport communities and our customers with the products that they need you know to to experience nature and hopefully what that does is help you know bring our fellow citizens into a space to see that you know the planet is worth protecting and yeah you know, the connection with nature is a great way to kind of you know catalyze that so I, would, I wouldn't necessarily say you know what comes first but i think get when you get it right you recognize that you know um if we do good things and do them genuinely transparently and with integrity and then tell people about it you know that is kind of you know a genuine encounter between someone and a business that's creating value for them you know so i think you know we're not trying to trick anyone into buying anything we're not trying to you know impress anyone into to to do anything what we you know we want to do is to be doing good stuff for people to find out about it recognize it and you know hopefully we can develop you know long-term kind of you know custom and, and and relationships as a result yeah so then the other part of that that I wanted to talk about, and on this podcast as well, I'd pretty much say this in every episode is, you know, a big part of me getting in front of someone like yourself and having this conversation is to be a little bit selfish for five minutes and have a conversation about something that we're, you know, battling with or 
working through at the moment. And part of that is when, you know, we are a self-funded group of three people starting a business who have got aspirations to do good things to the same level that, you know, Patagonia does. But that's a challenge when, you know, we've then got the issues of MOQs, finding factories that we can get the complete transparency with, getting the recycled materials, all of these things. You know, what I suppose, what are your thoughts or what is your guidance around trying to be perfect off the bat versus saying, hey, we're a brand who have got these aspirations to do these things, but we, we need you to support us now so that we can get there? Well, no one's perfect, so you can probably just, you know, <laughs> release the pressure a little bit um yeah and i think you know uh, there's inevitably compromises you know along the way that you have to make and you have to determine what's important but you know those decisions that you take as a business is what you know is what you're communicating to you to your customers you know yeah. so the things that you don't want to compromise on and that you are foregoing opportunity you know income you know viability as a result you know you want to try and be able to transform that into you know helping customers recognize and reward it um yeah. you know and, and i think you often say you've got to you've got to be in business, to make a difference as a business. you know otherwise yeah. you, you you're either a charity or you're going out of business really quickly um so finding a, a pathway forward that allows you to you know build a business you know i think is um is really important and look People, you know, Patagonia is is revered by many, um, and I think that's something which you know I, I revere the company to amazing place. But it's been building for fifty years, you know, and it yep. started with Yvonne Chenard, you know, making climbing pitons at the back of his car, you know, in winter to support his climbing habit in summer. And I mean, there's so many amazing, you know, founder stories and myths that kind of come from businesses of, the, of that nature. But the truth of it is, is you know, people who, uh, you know, we've all got to, you know, drive, you know, make make a living. We've all got to kind of like make a life. Um, how we do that and, and is, is really, you know, the difference between, you know, do I want to get rich quick? Am I building this business so I can flog it off to venture capitalists in five years and I can be a millionaire? Or am I trying to build something that, you know, I can really, you know, work in, love and be an expression of my time? And I often think about that, that, that story I said before about, being a craftsperson and someone who grew up, you know, in in industry where, you know, career growth, company growth, you know, revenue growth is is like the marker of success. Yeah. Um, but over time that can start to feel a little little bit empty, you know, and you know, I rushed off after working at Ripkell mm. to do a master's because I thought, hey, that'll that'll give me, you know, more opportunity. But what yeah. that experience gave me and certainly then you know, challenged me on emotionally was um, what are you actually achieving, you know, with, with your life, you know? Is a slightly bigger car or, you know, better house or, you know, bigger paycheck really going to bring you a sense of, you know, not just happiness but also satisfaction? Mm. Um, and, 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 and it didn't, you know? Um, so I think, you know, how you spend your time is really important. I think when, you, when you're focused on doing something which is congruent with your values – that's something that customers can really kind of buy into. And I think, you know, the business that sounds like you guys are starting is a great example of, you know, finding the thing that you are caring most about, you know, finding a, a, an opportunity or a niche in the market to, to explore. No doubt it's not going to be easy, but I think, you know, yeah. you, you know it's okay to start with, with a niche because, you know, there's a lot, lot more people out there than you think that probably share, share, share your interests. 
Oh, that's it. I mean, with the power of connectivity that's around now, you're you're pretty hard hard pressed to find a niche that still isn't enough of a you know population to give you a viable business yeah. at the end of that as well. Well, a good buddy of mine, you know, and, and some others started a, a brand called Bellroy, which is you know a, oh, yeah. a Melbourne and Torquay based brand. You know, they started making wallets. Yeah. Um, and you know, like you know, they'd be a great pe- great bunch of folks to talk to too and i'm sure they won't mind me stealing a little bit of their story but i was always <laughs> amazed at the very very start and i worked with those guys at ripcurl they used to make bags and wallets you know for ripcurl yeah and i always remember at the start of them going off to make you know a wallet better i was like oh that's that's cool and interesting but they started a blog called carryology and i was just always amazed at the <laughs> huge amount of people that just seemed to be interested in you know bags and carrying stuff and i thought what a great example of building and finding a community that also shared an interest, you know, yeah. that I would find sort of, you know, I didn't find it particularly interesting, you know, personally, but I was just always so intrigued that um, that sort of, you know, was a bit of a beacon and it didn't really exist part of that, that, um, you know, that those guys would have built a, a, a huge and successful business around. So, yeah, um, that's, yeah. I think that's it is there's, you know, it's, an encouragement to anybody who's starting on their journey as well or trying to think you know i think one of the hardest things is people often have an idea that they want to start something but they don't know where to go into or what's going to be the you know most viable thing is just find what you're passionate about because there's going to be a ridiculous amount of other people who are passionate about that as well even if it is just what you're putting in your wallet every day um, and the guys from Bellroy actually are another, that's another company on my list of people I'd love to speak to. So I'll be uh, hitting you up for a contact at the end of this chat. <laughs> Great. So I think, again, relaying it back to the importance of producing with purpose from the market research you do and from the data and the trends of everything that you've seen over the last sort of three years, do you think that that is now something that is really going to become in the next decade something that people need to be doing to stay to really stay viable is it shifting now that you've got to have some level of purpose to cut through well i think um you know the urgency and reality of climate change is is upon us and you know if we don't all take a bit of a look at how we're living right around the world you know it's going to be a much more difficult world for us to live to live on Mm -hmm. um so i think you know, businesses with purpose, you know, however we describe that, that sort of, you know, different approach, you know, to business, I think there's there's a real imperative, you know, for us all to, to consider, you know, how we live a little bit more and to encourage and communicate and debate and discuss those things, you know, with, with our friends and family and those around us. Um, I, I think the pandemic has certainly... Um, done a couple of things it certainly you know derailed whatever course of action we were on good or bad um but it's also shown us that you know we can do things that we probably never imagined were possible in a really short amount of time um so so i take a lot of hope that um you know whilst there's some really confronting challenges for us all in the next you know 10 20 30 40 years yeah um you know i think so many folks like you know like yourself and others that are out there kind of like trying to do things a little differently that aren't just about like you know wealth creation is showing that there is a bit of a bellwether in in how people want to you know exist you know it isn't just about how much can we take to improve our own personal circumstances but how can we perhaps be a little bit more regenerative how can we be a little bit more um you know like live in harmony you know with the planet so we can live sort of sustainably um which is not what's happening at the moment 
No, I, th- I think that's a really interesting point that you make about how much we've managed to do in 18 months in response to a pandemic. And, you know, realistically, that should the need arise, you can kind of shut down countries, you can shut down continents and get people to stay at home. Yep. And there, sh- you know, I mean, maybe it doesn't need to be done right now, it should be done right now. But we're not at that stage of urgency. But when climate change becomes progressively worse and worse, and we're struggling to get to net zero, and it's not yeah. looking possible. We might have to do something just as extreme to shut things down to try and make a quick change and spend all of our resources and efforts trying to find a solution because that'll be more dire than yeah. what we're in now. You know, like it's we're going to change one way or another. It just depends on how kind of do we want to manage that change and kind of like, you know, I think um, – steward ourselves towards the future that we want or are we going to have to kind of react to the future in which we find ourselves um and it's probably somewhere in the middle of all that i think you know i have a lot of optimism that the, the planet is regenerative i think we have to um act upon the knowledge that we gain um and it can be yeah. really deflating sometimes when when you see things going in the other direction but I do have a lot of hope that a lot of the you know status quo negativity that that we see in the news and you know read about you know old businesses and extractive industries you know persisting is that you know at, at the it's really getting that last gasp or you know squeezing that last you know drop of blood from a stone that they're trying to get as opposed mm-hmm. to those kind of structures continuing you know you know deeply into the future and you know maybe electric cars is a great example of that you know still something that feels so distant here in Australia, there's no infrastructure, yeah. you know, they're very niche kind of products, yet the whole world is moving so quickly towards it. We do not produce any of our own cars. We do not necessarily produce any of our own fuels for those cars. So when mm. that sort of, you know, um, supply infrastructure changes, we are probably going to have to change very, very quickly with it um, if we want to kind of, you know, keep pace with that, that level of infrastructure that's available. Yeah, interesting. Interesting way to think of that as well, that, and it's probably going to be quite a painful reaction that we have to make in some senses as well when, yeah, that's that's the shift that we need to make. But that's kind of the situation we've gotten ourselves into. So, <laughs> Totally. Um, Just remember, though, you know, pessimism's not very much fun. So, you know, you might as well have some fun while you, you know, exactly. you're trying to save the plan and do the right thing. I think, yeah, I think that's actually a huge part as well. And, and that's part of the thing of getting into business like this as well is it's it is fun and we are out there and realistically we know as well that we're starting a company in an industry that's extremely detrimental to the planet and there's elements of if we really wanted to do the right thing would we have started it so you know that's the philosophical debate we have to have with ourselves but we have to go out there try and make the impact try and show that things can be done in a better way try and bring up the new future of that and have fun with it as well because otherwise we're not going to be around in a year to keep talking about it absolutely so um so just before we come to wrap up and i want to hear a little bit about what's happening in the next 12 months for patagonia australia as well um and new zealand but you talked about having that year off um you know where you were having to think about what you wanted to do and eventually that led you towards coming into patagonia but knowing what you do now and having spent time in the business for anyone who's out there in you know people listening to this are often people on their kind of early entrepreneurial journey or they're trying to figure out where they want to find themselves do you have any guidance to someone in that state of kind of how to how to identify your north star so that you'll keep getting up every day and working on something that might not be the most profitable might not be the biggest company in the world but has got good impact how do you how do you find that well i think um 
well, I don't have any kind of like silver bullet. I think you know what we've got to work within the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Um, yeah. I think back to you know having the opportunity to say no to some opportunities to wait mm-hmm. and pursue the right ones was really important for me. But you know, I had to learn that after taking a few opportunities that perhaps I you know probably didn't need nor want. Yeah. Um, so I'd really encourage people to sort of you know. Take the time, but you know, acknowledge that you've got to, you know, put food on the table and and kind of, you know, live your live your life in that capacity. Yeah. So, finding that balance between those two things and and in trying to get where you want to go is is really important. And you know, work hard. You know, I, off, you know, I think Einstein said, you know, ninety nine percent perspiration, one percent inspiration. You know, so really a lot of you know success. I think for most folks, um, good luck and good timing are always part of it. But you've got to work hard on those um, opportunities. You know, land in your lap um so so they're not missed perfect no i absolutely agree it's it's just day after day of hard work and you'd be surprised you know it's that again another thing that i don't know where it comes from but um you overestimate what you can get done in a week but underestimate what you can get done in a year and i think <laughs> that's a big part of it if you keep getting up and showing up and pushing yeah. through you'll look back a year later and be surprised at how oh, far things totally have gone. True. that's absolutely yeah. true and, and i think it's hard to get up every morning, you know, especially when you, you know, when when it when it doesn't feel like it's working. Mm. Um, so you know, you just got to find strength in in your friends and family and those around you. And and I think, um, you know, when when you when you're taking that support, you know, it's just important to kind of like you know put it out there and, and support others because I think there's a great kind of you know um, exchange of energy you know that, that occurs in that great. that regard. Sure. All right, mate. We're getting towards the end of uh, our time here, so let's just hear a little bit about what's what's coming up in the year ahead. I suppose what projects as well can people? Would you love people to go and check out that Patagonia is working on? Well, um, you know, whenever we get asked this question, I always want to really just talk about our environmental projects as opposed to our business projects, and you know, yeah. one of the best things that you know that's occurred with Patagonia in the last sort of you know ten years has been our ability to, you know, invest in the, the company's environmental efforts here in Australia, not just abroad. So, mm. you know, we're, we're getting behind a bunch of great not-for-profits like Surfrider, Surface for Climate, um, you know, opposing offshore gas mining. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening out there in the market um, right now with people, you know, standing up trying to, you know, hold off, you know, thousands of new kind of, you know, gas permits and, and you know, digging new fossil fuels out of the ground. Um, we're doing some work in support of, you know, uh, protecting native forests, you know, right around Australia, particularly down in, in northwest Tasmania with the Bob Brown Foundation and, and the Takana area, um, which is, you know, an amazing, you know, part of the world, temperate rainforest with, you know, thousands, trees that are thousands of years old, you know, and we're sort of, you know, letting that be cut up for toilet paper. So really encourage, you know, all of your listeners to, you know, look a little deeper into some of these kind of, you know, really local issues because there is some... Some amazing work happening out there that you know some people power can really make all the, the difference on um so you know that I'd, I'd, I'd sort of point to those things for people to have a little think about yeah. i think from a business perspective you know we continue to think about how can we can you know evolve our business to be more responsible more impactful you know with everything we do not just the products we make but you know how we sell whom we sell with um how do we keep gear in play for longer by repairing it you know all sorts of you know all these things that we're doing how do we do them a little bit better a little bit better you know you know month in month out year in year out so 
um, in the hope that we can, you know, do more of that in the next year um, and, and keep building the business slowly but purposefully will be, you know, will be really wonderful. And to reopen our stores, you know, and, and to, to yeah. reconnect with our community in person. I think one of Patagonia's greatest strengths is um, to convene people and to convene like-minded people around issues and, and fun and sport. Um, and it's been really disruptive over the last 18 months to not be able to do that you know, much, even though Australia and New Zealand, we've probably been able to do it more than, you know, you know most parts of the world. So I'm really excited to, you know, to, to usher all of that back. Um, and really look to you know look to to a bright future. It's awesome, man. Sounds good. There's a lot there to check out, and for those initiatives that you mentioned as well, um, there'll be links for whoever's listening in the show notes to go and check that out, so you get some quick access to that as well. Really awesome. Man. Well, thanks again for your time. It's uh, that's gone quickly. That was a great chat, full of some really good insight as well. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Well, thanks for having me, Tony, and um, yeah, good luck on on your business too. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks very much.